I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Dave Kittle here. I am the practice owner at Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We are currently acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. Today's episode, let's get right into it. Free training, no pitch. I have nothing to sell you, but we are acquiring practices and we're putting out content marketing like this to get in front of more practice owners like you. So I'm also the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group and uh, let's get into this free training. Today, the episode, the training is how long does it take to sell my physical therapy practice? Many practice owners that we speak with, they are doing this for the first time and they don't really understand all of the, the timelines and the different challenges of what makes a timeline longer or shorter. We're going to get into all of that next. Here we go. So most importantly, you want to know or you care about if you're a practice owner, you want to know how long it's going to take and what are the steps? What are the milestones? What's the potential time frame? And most importantly, you also want to know what are some of the issues to avoid. We're going to go into some of the suggestions here and let you know from our standpoint, the uh, timelines that we've seen and we've heard and things that will help you understand to kind of demystify this whole process for you and your practice. So once you funnel down to potentially one offer, one buyer, or maybe several offers, here is our general timeline to sell your physical therapy practice. Maybe it's a PT, OT practice, maybe some other healthcare practice or healthcare business. But again, we're physical therapists, we're acquiring physical therapy practices. And so if that sounds like you, then hopefully this fits what you're looking to potentially do even if it's in the next six to 12 months or possibly in the next three to five years. So approximate total time, the timeline from beginning to end approximately would be a three to six month process, three months to six months. Now, of course, there could certainly be deals or transactions or transitions completed within or less than three months. It certainly is possible. And the three to six month range is kind of an approximate window. It's kind of like with treating someone with low back pain, right? it depends, or someone that has a neurological condition. What do you do with this type of patient, this condition? Well, it depends. It depends on many factors, right? So with your physical therapy practice and many other factors that we're going to get into, it could take well longer than six months. It could take nine months. It could take 12 months in duration from start to finish. It really depends on a lot of factors. It depends on who you have as a broker or advisor in your corner. It depends on how motivated you are to sell. It depends on the buyers in your area, regionally, nationally. It depends on many factors, but approximate timeline, three to six months. We're going to break down next the approximate milestones and things that typically will occur week by week. So also, I did mention this at the top of the training. If you're listening right now on Apple iTunes or on Spotify, I suggest you jump over to YouTube. We have a slideshow presentation that I'm clicking through right now that gives you some visuals as to the week-by-week -week breakdown. We're going to get into the week-by-week -week breakdown right now. And again, this also depends on your broker, your advisor. They might have a certain approach or certain strategy on how they run this process of things that they help you with certain weeks and certain months in this process. 
this is just going to be a breakdown, but I suggest you jump over to the YouTube, my YouTube channel, The Dave Kittle Show on YouTube, because that way you'll be able to see this visual and you'll be a little bit more focused if you can hear it and see it, I believe. So let's get into weeks one through four. The first week, week one, up until the first four weeks. So your broker advisor, if you have a broker advisor, and that's a big if because many practice owners go into this transition or this step in their life with their practice, and many of them negotiate on the with themselves, and that's totally fine. Also, many will have an advisor or broker. So in weeks one through four, if you have a broker or advisor, they will, in this phase, assess your financials. They want to understand your practice. They want to understand your goals. They're going to ask you many questions. They want to get a sense of where you're at with your practice goals, your financial goals. They want to understand what you're looking for in terms of transition. They have to really ask a lot of questions. They have to ask you a lot of questions and get to understand you and where you're coming from so that they can best serve you and best represent you in this process. So weeks one through four, the broker or advisor, they're going to be checking out your financials, your tax returns, your financial statements from the past, at least the past couple of years. It could be more than three years. They're definitely going to be looking at the previous, the trailing 12 months, the most previous 12 months uh, specifically. But all of these financial documents will need to be prepared by your broker advisor. If you're negotiating on your own, on your practice behalf, then you're going to have to get these financials together and ready so that you can present them to us or another potential buyer. Also in weeks one through four, the broker advisor or yourself will be performing analysis and due diligence of your practice. You want to be looking at the, the financial health of your practice. So that would be net margins, your net profit, you want to look at your overhead, all those types of things are going to help you prepare and perform some of these due diligence checklists and, and steps because prospective buyers are going to ask you, Mr. and Mrs. Practice Owner and the broker advisor, many questions. And it's going to be easy if this information is already curated and prepared by either yourself or your broker or advisor. Also in weeks one through four, the broker advisor at this point will likely be drafting something that's called a confidential offering memorandum, a confidential information memorandum, a SIM, a CIM, or a confidential offering memorandum, or an offering memorandum, an OM. There's many different abbreviations and, and different terms for this, but basically drafting what you're looking for, drafting the memorandum, the snapshot of your practice, the, the strengths and weaknesses, the the opportunities for the potential buyer, all of this, this starts to get drafted in the first one to four weeks, either by yourself or especially by your, your broker advisor. The next step in this weeks one through four, the broker advisor will typically make a list of potential buyers. They will either have a vast network. They will be able to call, email, communicate with potential buyers, regional, national buyers. It could be local buyers that are looking to buy a practices in that particular area or city or metro. So your broker advisor will typically understand who would be the best fit for your type of practice. That's why the previous step that I mentioned about assessing, going through due diligence, they're looking at your practice, they're asking the practice owner a lot of questions, the broker advisor understands your practice, the better that they can understand your practice, the better they will be able to connect their list of potential buyers to your type of practice. Because then they know based on how how well they know your practice, they can also then say, okay, well, we know this buyer and this buyer would not be interested in this type of practice, but potential buyers three, four, and five might be interested. And then the broker advisor starts to make this list at this point. And then the next step would be they're, they're going to reach out to them. So we'll get into that. Next, weeks 
five through eight. So the weeks five through eight, your advisor broker will start to contact these potential buyers and get potential interest and or proposals and or offers. So interest could be something as simple as an email response or a phone call back to your broker advisor that yes, XYZ buyers or potential buyers are interested and would like to hear more. Then there will be some proposals and or offers, which up until a non-binding letter of intent, which we're going to get into, proposal could be, typically it's it's written, it's not necessarily verbal, so it's a little bit more serious of interest. But along the weeks five through eight is something that you could, with your broker advisor, potentially get interest that soon into the process. Also, weeks five through eight, potential interested buyers are now identified or they're a little more, they start to become filtered. So certain potential buyers are going to be filtered in or filtered out. So they're going to be uh, some basically, you know, like inclusion criteria or exclusion criteria. Basically, your broker advisor will be able to understand, okay, this buyer, they're just kind of kicking the tires. They're kind of just seeing what's available in this city or metro or this area, which practices like yours is, is potentially going to be up for sale. And there's going to be a range of interest from these potential buyers. At this point, though, from weeks five through eight, your broker advisor will want to start to understand and understand and know who is more serious and whoever is going to be more serious. Your broker advisor will start to secure confidential agreements, confidentiality agreements, typically a simple as a, a mutual NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA. And oftentimes that it might even be signed before a potential buyer like us presents any interest or an offer. So it really depends on the broker. It depends on the advisor. It depends on who you're working with, who is representing you. But typically the NDA in our experience will be signed upfront before we're even looking at a practice's tax returns or any other financials. So the practice owner wants to make sure that, hey, we have something signed that's providing security and confidentiality and privacy and then they'll send us the tax returns, the last three years of tax returns, their P&L, their income statement, their balance sheet, et cetera. And then we can start to ask questions with the broker and or the practice owner yourself, asking questions of size, asking all this type of questions before we submit a non-binding letter of intent. Also in weeks five through eight, your broker advisor, if you have one, would be distributing this information memorandum to interest buyers if that has not already occurred in the timeline earlier. But that's another step here. Additionally, next in weeks five through eight, you and your broker advisor start to either establish an initial bid guideline or initial bid guidelines and or an asking price. Now, here's the thing here. We're prospective buyers here, right? So we're looking to acquire practices and it's the most efficient, we believe, when we can get an asking price from the practice and or from the broker or advisor. Now, if you've listened to the podcast, the Dave Kittle Show before, then you know that many brokers and advisors do this and provide an asking price to potential buyers like us. And also, we've interviewed a couple investment bankers recently on the show, and the investment banking process is without an asking price and is more a blind bidding process, a blind bidding process. So there's pros and cons to that, but there's a lot of it really, again, it depends on who's in your corner, what you're looking to do. Do you have a broker advisor? Do you have an investment banker? There's just a lot of opportunity. There's just a lot of options for you as a practice owner. If 
from looking from your side of things or an investment banker side of things, they might say, well, it went with a blind bidding process, then the practice owner might get significantly higher or lower bids, but they might get overall a more lucrative deal, a deal, a potential offer that is max value or top dollar. And that certainly could be possible. Uh, the practice owner could also get that with setting an asking price. And then maybe there could still be a bidding or some type of bidding negotiation between several prospective buyers. I think it could go either way. From our standpoint, as prospective buyers, if there's an asking price, at least we believe that it makes the process a little bit more efficient because we know at least somewhere that owner or that broker advisor, we understand, are they basing this asking price on financial reality, like actual understanding around the financials of the practice, or is the asking price just like through the roof, just like pie in the sky type of number that is just not realistic, just financially not realistic. So with the bid process and the asking price, there's just two options there. And it really just depends, again, who's in your corner, your broker advisor. And I believe as prospective buyers that you will maybe have a more efficient process if you or your broker advisor set an asking price. And I believe it can make things more efficient versus the investment banking bid process where you're going to get a wide range of offers. You're going to get very low ball offers because some of the buyers are just going to kind of throw their hat in the ring, but like maybe not even be that serious. And just maybe they think they might get lucky and and the practice owner says yes to something that's really low on the on the low ball side of things. And at the other side, maybe a buyer is really aggressive and wants to get into that market. And so therefore, they might bid 1.5x or 2x what the lowest bid might be. So there's pros and cons here. Again, it depends on your broker advisor or investment banker, whoever is in your corner. Next, still in weeks five through eight of this process, weeks five through eight, some buyers may submit non-binding offers, non-binding letter of intent offers. So this would be a document that's emailed to yourself, the practice owner, or to the uh, your advisor or broker from us or from another prospective buyer. And again, this is basically a, it's a price and terms uh, offer. So it'll basically say like, okay, hey, we're interested in acquiring your practice, either 100% of it for this amount, or we're interested in buying 70% or 80% of your practice for this dollar amount. X amount paid at closing could be 100%. It could be 50% at closing. It certainly depends. It could be 75% at closing. It could be 25% as an earnout. There's a lot of variation here. It could be we're looking to acquire 80% of your practice. And then the other 20% of your practice, we want you to retain. We want the owner to retain and keep that equity because we want them to stay focused and invested in the practice. Unless you, as the practice owner, you have goals to travel or leave the country or travel more domestically or spend more time doing other things. And you want to totally get out of patient care and totally exit the practice. So at this point, again, prospective buyers would be submitting non-binding LOI, non-binding letter of intent at weeks five through eight. It certainly could be, it's probably not going to be much earlier than this, but it certainly could be much later than this as well. It really depends on the process for you and the buyers that you're speaking with and the broker advisor in your corner. All right, next, weeks nine through 10, weeks nine through 10 in this process of how to sell your physical therapy practice. At this point, you will be evaluating and assessing your initial interest or proposals. So you, yourself, directly with prospective buyers and or with your broker advisor, you will be communicating about and assessing, hey, here's how it's going. Here's the potential interest. Maybe there's 
you know, one potential interest from a regional or national buyer. Maybe there's a other interest from local buyers or other buyers that are trying to get into your market or metro. Here's the potential offerings. Here's the potential dollar amounts that they're offering. Here's the potential deal terms. When we talk about deal terms, the deal terms could be, again, maybe you're getting 75% of your practice offer and maybe they're offering, they want to acquire 75% or maybe we want to acquire 75% and maybe offer for you to keep 25% and stay engaged in the practice. Or maybe we're offering 90% of the cash down at closing and then you know 10% as an earnout. Again, there's just so many, there's a lot of variation here. So that's why you and your accountant, your lawyer or your broker, your advisor, you'll be evaluating, assessing this initial interest, talking about the pros and cons of some of these proposals and some of these potential offers. Also in weeks nine through 10, buyers will start to drop out and or you and your broker advisor will be kind of filtering out certain buyers based on initial interest, their initial offer, their price terms, and uh, right fit. So it depends on many things. And so here's an example. We know certain practice owners that we've spoken with, they said to us that they do not want to sell to a corporate or they do not want to sell to some big box chain or something like that. So that's where we have a little bit of flexibility. We have a little bit of a unique advantage because we're a PT owner group and we're not a a large corporate. So there are certain practice owners that want to sell to PT, other physical therapists or or physical therapy-led groups such as us, such as the Fieldmaker Group. So it depends. At this point, you're kind of speaking with your broker advisor or you're understanding what's the type of initial interest that you've gotten and what is potentially appealing, what is not appealing with some of these initial offers. Again, these offers are non-binding. So you get a non-binding letter of intent, either directly in your email or in your broker advisor's email from us or from other prospective buyers. And these dollar amounts are non-binding. So we could say, you know, we could send a non-binding letter of intent around this time, around weeks five through eight or around weeks nine through 10. And this dollar amount, it could be, it's kind of just, um, it's the initial starting point, but it's by no means a binding number. So the number could change. The dollar amount could go up. The dollar amount could go down. The terms could change one way or the other. The terms could change to be more favorable towards the practice owner, the terms could be changed to slightly less favorable to the practice owner. It really depends on the buyer. It depends on you and your practice and the health of your practice. So next thing here, weeks still, weeks nine through 10, your broker and advisor will start to prepare a data room or some platform for a lot of exchanging of these financial documents either on the front end with the legal due diligence, or even if in the early due diligence of sending the mutual NDA, usually send over email or fax, but it certainly could be added into a data room in the beginning, as well as a place where there's a hub for your your confidential offering memorandum or your tax returns and your financials for your practice. Your broker advisor may have some type of software platform or some type of a data room to store a lot of this information And then the data room becomes even more significant once you do select one potential buyer. And there's a a place for document requests. We're going to get into all that, but a place for the potential buyers to make, like us, to make document requests like, hey, we need this or this or this. We need, you know, can we see the the lease agreement for the brick and mortar location of your therapy practice, et cetera, those types of things. All of those things will 
typically be either over email or inside of a data room like this. And that will typically happen around weeks nine through 10. Again, it depends. Sometimes it could be earlier, sometimes it could be later, but kind of give you a, a timeline here. Also in this weeks nine through 10, prospective serious buyers, such as our attorneys may start drafting a purchase agreement. Again, weeks nine through 10, it certainly could be a little bit earlier and it certainly could be later. But again, in terms of the approximate chronological order, this is how things are, are laid out now. Sometimes your broker or advisor may have a different process. They may prefer different steps along the way. So some of these steps that we're going through right now, they might be mixed and matched before or after. So it really just depends on, again, yourself, your broker, your advisor, who's in your corner and their ideal playbook, their ideal steps and timelines in this process. But this is pretty much how things could go. Uh, let's get into the next one here. So weeks 11 through 16. Around this point now, if you've already gotten initial interest, you filtered out some potential buyers that are either just giving you lowball offers or kind of kicking the can, kicking the tires, not really serious, but maybe a little bit interested. But at this point, weeks 11 through 16, in this formal process, you'll probably start to get some final offers, some final bids. The legal due diligence may begin at this point. It really depends on how much... Uh, of the potential prospective buyers are really interested. And there's X amount of legal due diligence that could occur early on. And then certainly once things such as a purchase agreement or something like that gets signed, then certainly legal due diligence will be you know full on at that point. So again, also in weeks 11 through 16, you and your broker advisor will be responding to any data requests or document requests through the process but more so now in the later stages and the more uh, serious you get with one or two prospective buyers, then you're going to be responding a lot more often to some of these data requests if they if these data requests have not already been shared or sent with the prospective buyers. So maybe, again, your broker advisor might have a certain process or, or certain steps that they typically will take you through. And maybe all of this will already be added to the data room. So then if your broker advisor has already added, for example, the lease agreement of your brick and mortar therapy practice, then us, the prospective buyers, wouldn't have to make a document request because it might already be in there, right? So it really just depends on what's already set up. Also, at this point, weeks 11 through 16, you will probably balance multiple bidders while at the same time remaining timely with each step and stage. So making sure that there's enough time to respond to any of these questions, understanding if they have any other final questions before they're making any additional bids or offers on your practice. Maybe there might need to be some clarification on some questions or, or some concerns from the prospective buyers during this weeks 11 through 16. And then at this point, the next stage, week 17 through 20, is when you and your broker advisor might be receiving and evaluating any final offers. At this point, you and your practice, your broker, your advisor, you'll be understanding the full picture of price and terms, not just price only. So again, the broker advisor, that's why they ask you about a lot of questions up front. And then the prospective buyers understand how should they best present an offer with price and terms, meaning if you, the practice owner, were going to stay on for the next three to four to five years in the practice, then the prospective buyers like us will absolutely pay more for that because then you'll be there on that day-to-day, -day, or even if you're only treating one or two days a week. But if you're going into the office four or five days a week, then that will help with 
culture and morale and steadying the ship and making sure that during this transition and this this change in ownership that the staff your your staff does not get freaked out they don't think that you know things are changing and and things are getting uncertain and that doesn't force them to start to get nervous to then go look for jobs elsewhere or look for uh, look to go interview elsewhere and go work somewhere else that is not what a prospective buyer wants so at this point that's why it's not just about price it's about price and terms and so if a practice owner was looking to leave the practice after let's say after 6 to 12 months after exiting their practice if they sell their practice to us or another buyer and they want to get out in 6 to 12 months then the buyers such as us or any other prospective buyer will then kind of shave off some of the price they might build in the dollar amount for you more in the terms, like maybe there's some earnout, there's a seller's note, et cetera, but the cash at close will probably be less. A buyer like us and many other buyers, I can't speak for every buyer, but I can speak approximately and say that a prospective buyer like us, if you want to get out of your practice in six months or 12 months after the transition, after the close, then most buyers, including us, will pay you less because we're going to have to replace you. We're going to have to replace you in the treating patient capacity in terms of producing visits, but also managing or leading or directing the clinic. And that's assuming it depends if you have a clinic director already in place. If you have a clinic director in place that's been there for years and they're paid well and they love their work and they want to stay working there, wonderful. That is exactly what we want. That's what pretty much every prospective buyer wants. So again, we want to de-risk the situation. We want to make sure that the transaction and the transition is not shaky. We want everyone to stay. We do not want staff to leave. We do not want a mutiny or anything like that. So that's the difference. That's why price and terms are very important. So that's why in week 17 through 20, if you're at this stage with your broker advisor, your broker advisor will be very, very experienced and seasoned, and they'll probably be able to manage your expectations and let you know, hey, it's not just about price. It's also about terms. However, your broker advisor will usually get paid a commission on the price. So they might be swayed and incentivized more towards price as opposed to price and terms. So please do keep that in mind because price and terms could be valuable and advantageous to the practice owner. But a, a broker advisor is going to get paid a commission on the price and they just want to get, to be honest, this is how I feel, Not maybe not everyone, but brokers and advisors, they kind of just like, they want to, they, they're doing all this work. They want to get paid their commission. They want to end your situation, your relationship with each other. And they want to get paid their commission and they want to move on to the next deal, the next transaction, the next practice owner. Not every broker advisor will be like that, but they don't want to have a commission that's also hooked on such you know, terms in the future. So they just want their commission. They want to move on. So that's incentivizes them to have you take the highest price, cash or close, and they care less about, they probably care less about your terms, not always, but just in my opinion. So just keep that in mind in this stage of weeks 17 through weeks 20. Also, you'll be negotiating any key deal points. So it really depends on your situation. So any key deal points could be, we're speaking with many practice owners right now. So any key deal points could be practice owners that want to leave in six to 12 months after the transition. That could be a key deal point for you. If another key deal point is you want to continue to treat patients for the next five to eight years and treat a couple of days a week, and that's really important to you because you love clinically treating patients. Wonderful. You want to negotiate that. When you're negotiating key deal points, please keep in mind, there's going to be like two main agreements. So the one purchase sale agreement will be a buyer like us 
is going to acquire some or all of your practice. That's going to be one agreement. And then a second agreement will be an employment agreement for you as the therapist slash practice owner. But if you're going to continue to treat patients after closing, after transitioning and, and closing this transaction where a buyer like us or another buyer acquires your practice, there's going to be a separate agreement that's going to be an employment agreement where we're going to agree to pay you X amount of salary or X amount of dollars per hour or X amount of dollars per patient visit completed, whatever. So there's going to be two agreements. Now, the purchase sale agreement is going to be like, hey, we're buying some or all of your practice at this dollar amount, this price, these terms, et cetera, whatever. And that's going to be, once it's locked up and signed, that's like in stone, that, that's fixed. Then the employment agreement also will be completed and signed at the transaction as well. The employment agreement is more as if it's just like for any other staff employee, right? So it's like laying out, here's what we would be paying you for treatment or leadership or running meetings or you know whatever, whatever the roles and responsibilities that you and your buyer agree to. And it depends on what you want. It depends on you as the practitioner of what you're looking to do. So that's why it may be a key deal point. And then also there could be other key deal points. So if you believe that the prospective buyers are not offering you the top dollar max value for your practice, then you could have key deal points as some type of um, performance pay in the future. So if in the next year or two, if your practice reaches X amount of dollar amount in revenue or profit or et cetera, but, but typically revenue, it could revenue is a bigger one in terms of performance pay. So you could say, hey, um, I feel like I'm being lowballed on the dollar offering that you're offering here because I believe the practice is going to continue to grow. So if, if the practice grows to X amount of millions at this point in the next 12 months, 24 months, whatever, you can negotiate some performance pay or bonus or something if you help the practice achieve that. And a buyer will typically be amenable to that and be open to that because they want to grow the practice as well. And they want the ship to be steady in terms of stability in your practice. So those are the types of things that could be deal points. And you have many other ideas around or feelings around deal points. And that's going to depend on your situation. Definitely make sure you communicate that with your broker advisor. So next, weeks 21 and onward would be where you and your broker advisor, you'll kind of be finishing any final negotiations. You'll be selecting your buyer or approving the deal, approving the price and terms. And at this point, closing the transaction. And also at this point, allowing for any, any additional confirmatory or any follow-up with legal due diligence or any other commercial due diligence or anything like that. If there's any questions about billing or your revenue cycle management or your documentation practices or et cetera, any of those things would be kind of getting wrapped up at this point. Additionally, negotiating the purchase agreement as well as your employment agreement, which I was just mentioning about employment agreement. If you as a practice owner are going to be staying on as an employee, employee meaning you're treating patients, or it could be an employee as and just you know managing some of the day-to-day, -day, the week-to-week -week with staff meetings, leadership meetings, which are helping with culture, morale, et cetera. Many buyers will want that. Some buyers will want that because otherwise they're going to have to replace you and have some type of a, a clinic director in place. If you already have a clinic director in place, it might be easier for you to kind of exit and transition out. Again, it really depends on what you've already built as a practice owner. At this point, additionally, preparing any disclosures that are not yet disclosed or, or not yet discussed. At this point, most of the disclosures probably would have been completed, would have already been presented from both sides, especially from your broker advisor to the prospective buyers. At this point, also finalizing any uh, definitive agreements, anything like that, which your, your broker, your advisor, or your lawyer should be able to help you with. 
finalizing any legal filings, as well as just continuing standard clear communication with your, your attorney, your broker advisor, or if it's you speaking to the prospective buyer like us directly, the best suggestion is just maintain communication. It could be every couple of days, it could be at least once a week, but there should be a continuous cadence of communication during this whole process so that neither side thinks like, oh, what, what's going on? This is weird. Like we're not communicating or there's like a, a gap in communication. And so some minds will start to wander like what's going on here. So just continuous communication is key, is very, very important. And then finally, close the transaction, right? So it's pretty much, that's pretty much the beginning to end of it. Now, there's a lot of other steps and details in between, but this is kind of a rough, a rough timeline. Again, your broker advisor may say, oh, well, some of these things are out of order, or maybe they they perform them in, in a certain uh, approach or certain time frame. It really depends on who's in your corner. This is supposed to be a, an approximate timeline of how to sell your practice and, and how long it takes. So if you're a practice owner, and if you find this content valuable, what I would like for you to do is I would love for you to just share this with one practice owner. It could be a practice owner that you went to school with, you went to PT school with, OT school with, you went to, to undergrad with, maybe it's someone that you met at a, at a APTA meeting or a PPS or, or something like that, where you know that another practice owner is business-minded or they're looking to eventually sell or exit their practice and they want to potentially check out some of this free content, this free, hopefully valuable resources for you to understand this whole process. And I would love for you to just copy the link of this YouTube video, or if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, copy the link right now, send a text message or an email to one colleague, one friend to share this out. I would really appreciate it because I think the more that we can get this in front of other practice owners, the better they will be with getting through this transition of selling either some or all of their practice. So again, I am Dave Kittle. You can email me, dave at conciergepainrelief.com. You can also type in on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there, Dave Kittle, K-I-T-T-L-E. Again, I'm the practice owner at Concierge Pain Relief, home physical therapy in New York City. And I'm also the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. And we are currently partnering with and acquiring practices, partnering with owners and acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. And my home physical therapy practice services all five boroughs of New York City and a little bit outside of that in every direction, a little bit in New Jersey, a little bit of Connecticut, but for the most part, we're based in New York City. So if this resonates with you, if you find this interesting, I would love for you to share this out, share it with one colleague, one therapist, one practice owner. And if you are in the New York or New Jersey area and are even thinking, even in the future, it's never too early. So if you want to just connect with me, shoot me an email. We can have a brief, you know, five or 10 minute phone call if you're interested. Um, we have some practice owners that reach out to us and they're not ready to sell, which is totally fine. But some of the practice owners reach out to us because they, they're they saying that they like what they hear on the podcast, on the show here, and they just wanted to touch base. And it's never too early. So even if we have a five or 10 minute phone call, I think just building a rapport, building a relationship early is just going to benefit both sides because we can get a sense of where we're both at. And many other potential buyers only want to speak with practice owners if they're really serious about moving forward. But we know this is a relationship game, right? Just like with patients, it's all about our patients and clients. It's all about a relationship. And physical therapy is a relationship business. And we believe also exiting and selling your practice is also a relationship component. So if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, that's totally fine. Connect with me anywhere. If you want to shoot me a message, all of that will be private and confidential. So if you send me an email, dave at conciergepainrelief.com, feel free to send me a note there. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe because that way you'll get notified of when future episodes are published. 
And I will be doing more on YouTube in terms of showing charts and financials and graphs and other uh, graphics. So it'll make more sense for you to jump onto YouTube. And listening on iTunes and Spotify is fine. Totally great if you're listening to this while driving or maybe working out or something. But I think the full experience is on YouTube. So check out YouTube because then you can kind of see and hear what we're covering. And it'll be a little bit more of a focused experience for you as a practice owner if you're serious about this. And uh, if not, totally fine to be listening on iTunes or Spotify. So that's it for now. Dave Kittle Show. Go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you find this valuable. Share it with a colleague. That's it for right now. We'll see you next time on The Dave Kittle Show. Bye now. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.